welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we have Member of Provincial Parliament, Representative Lisa Gretzky, who is representing Windsor West, who is the NDP critic for Community and Social Services. On July 20th, 2020, MPP Gretzky had tabled a motion for uh, the Essential Caregiver Strategy which was mainly for family members and support persons to be recognized and to be allowed in for congregate settings for their loved ones. So now we're all listening on that conversation. So I want to say thank you so much for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles and giving your time to talk in regards to the essential caregiver strategy. And... um, I'll start it off by, with this motion that you presented uh, on July 20th, um, last month, um, why did you feel that it was necessary that this motion had to be presented in the legislature uh, for family members to be recognized as essential caregivers? Well, so we're basically five months into um, the pandemic, where our long-term care centers, group homes, and all congregate care living, where they were limiting uh, residents or patients from having access to their essential caregivers, which are largely family members, but not always. Um, And yet we haven't seen a plan come forward from the government in order to um, provide safe and meaningful access um, for these residents and these patients to their essential caregivers. And we're hearing more and more from these individuals that are in congregate care, from their family members, from healthcare professionals and experts, and from the workers within these congregate care settings, uh, that not these residents not having meaningful. Um, so by meaningful, I mean that someone is able to come in in person um, and communicate in a way that that the resident understands um, and, and is able to to communicate fully. Um, so we're hearing that um, what's happening is these these residents and these patients are starting to have a decline in their uh, mental state, in their physical uh, well-being, um, and emotionally as well. And so it's really long past time um, that the government came up with the strategy around essential caregiver access um, and making sure that that can happen in a safe and meaningful way for patients and residents within Uh, congregate care settings. Yes, absolutely, because um, it is definitely taking a a toll on a lot of the family members as well um, to know that they are barred um, and restricted from being able to provide the care that they were providing prior to the pandemic. And with the pandemic being with us for the foreseeable future, we don't know, there's no vaccine um, at this point in time that would change that. And with your strategy, with the essential caregiver strategy, it uh, talks to the both the immediate and the, um, the future in regards to the fact that caregivers would have um, a voice. Uh, they'd be a, a stakeholder at the table in terms of when changes like this would happen in the future. Um, is that why in terms of the uh, key points for the strategy, um, the language that was used um, to describe everything was indicated in here? Yeah, it's really, really very important that we are um, 
individual centered um, and, and person centered. So we need to be talking to the residents and the patients within congregate care um, about what is meaningful, um, meaningful access to their caregiver. What does that mean to them? Um, but it's also important to be bringing the workers from within these congregate care settings into the conversation uh, because they're the ones that are on the inside of these homes um, who are trying to um, do the very best that they can with very limited resources. Most of these congregate care settings, whether that's long-term care or even in developmental services and group homes, um, they're, they're understaffed. Um, and quite frankly, they're overworked and it's very difficult for them to do what they need to do on a daily basis um, and provide the type of care that they want to provide. Um, and so they recognize that there is a role for these essential caregivers. Um, there's something that a, an essential caregiver, a family member can provide emotionally um, that workers simply can't. Um, and so it's important to have, but it's important to have the workers uh, at the table to have this discussion to talk about what it's like staffing wise and, and, and what they've seen as far as the decline mentally, physically, and emotionally for the residents in congregate care. Uh, it's also important to have the essential caregivers at the table and to have um, experts in the various fields in healthcare and in developmental services at the table um, so they can talk about um, they can talk about the the what a safe reintroduction and staff could help with that as well what a safe reintroduction or access um to essential caregivers could, would look like um and a lot of the work has already been done so the national institute for aging um the rnao and many others have come forward and already put forth policy pieces and suggestions on how to um to have meaningful access um, for these residents and to do so in a, a safe way. Um, all it really needs um, is for the government to, to listen to what's already out there and then to continue to engage all of these people in these conversations on a go forward basis to have a really solid uh, strategy in place so that um, as we go into uh, potentially go into a second wave or um, heaven forbid face another pandemic down the road, there's already a strategy in place to ensure that these individuals in congregate care still are able to maintain safe and meaningful access to their caregivers. So we're not seeing them basically locked away um, in a congregate care setting with without access um, to their essential caregiver for five months or more. Absolutely, because a lot of these uh, residents in these congregate care settings, they're already vulnerable, whether that is through cognitive or through being developmentally delayed. Um, they are seen as the most um, vulnerable in our society. And with the the government's inaction to be able to have the uh, family caregiver come in um, in a safe way, uh, as well as because you indi it's indicated here in your in the strategy as well that um, that would be part of the policy to be able to f for training on PPE to be able to for that family member to be able to come in uh, and to provide it to that consistent care that was there prior to the pandemic. Is that correct? Yes. So the part of the strategy would be to ensure that um, didn't we don't ever again experience what we had at the beginning of the pandemic where these congregate care settings do not have 
uh, access to enough PPE for the the workers within the setting where the residents um, and then for the essential caregivers as well. So that's part of the strategy um, is for the government, along with all these different people at the table, um, to come up with a strategy to make sure that there is enough PPE, that everybody is trained in the um, appropriate use of PPE, and um, to ensure, uh, also importantly, to make sure that there are enough staff um, within these facilities. The way they're doing the, um, the visits uh, right now, what they're referring to as non-essential visitors um, visiting, uh, is... Um, very piecemeal. It's open to interpretation. Many of these congregate care settings are, uh, you know, trying to figure out what the government means by their guidelines and they're interpreting it. And so there's no real uh, consistency um, within long-term care. One home to another could be very different. Um, and the same within in developmental services and hospitals. So there needs to be a strategy in place that talks about um, when we're going through something like this, these are the steps that need to be taken in order to make sure that there is no uh, significant gap in, in residents having access to their essential caregivers. The beginning of this pandemic, there was a lot of uncertainty. People were very nervous, um, very concerned, and didn't really know um, how the virus spread. And uh, so I understand maybe in the very beginning, um, making sure that um, there was limited access to people coming and going from these congregate care settings. But we're five months in now, so there is really no reason uh, for residents to be denied meaningful access to their essential caregiver. Um, and a strategy would help with that. It, would be not, it wouldn't be guidance, which is what the government is putting out as guidance. Um, it would be very clear directive uh, on, on how congregate care settings are to um, ensure during something like this that the essential caregivers um, are, are allowed into these facilities and the residents have meaningful access. And I, I'm going to keep stressing meaningful access because yeah. um, you have uh, just within long-term care, you could have someone with dementia who doesn't understand um, how to use a video chat, um, who who can't carry on a conversation over the phone. They may be confused by who it is that is on the phone with them. Um, and uh, even the window visits, uh, having someone stand on the other side of the window, they don't understand why that caregiver, why that loved one can't come in. So that's not meaningful, appropriate access for that resident. Um, so this strategy is all about having not just um, guidelines, but having very clear directives that everybody follows. And for the government to ensure that um, there is enough PPE provided to these congregate care settings in order to allow um, safe and meaningful access. Absolutely. And as well, you touched on the point in regards to the staffing issue, because that's another big one. And as well, with these family members going in, they were kind of like secondary staff in most cases to some of these particular facilities um, because they were there morning they were they would come in the afternoon and then they'd be there again in the evening and totally to be there to make sure whether medication was administered correctly and properly uh, according to the the care plan so 
I know that in other provinces at the moment, um, they've allowed or expanded their visitor policy in terms of allowing family members back in. But with the essential caregiver strategy, it is basically recognizing that these are not just visitors. These are essential to the care of the resident that is in these congregate care facilities. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So it is recognizing that that these individuals are essential caregivers to the residents within congregate care settings, that they are more than just visitors. Um, And to also, along with that recognition, um, I think it's important to point out that um, a lot of these, again, a lot of these congregate care settings are understaffed um, and that these essential caregivers are filling in gaps. um, And what needs to happen is, and that's part of, the motion that I put forward around the essential caregiver strategy is that there should be, or there has to be a staffing strategy as well to ensure that all of these congregate care settings are appropriately staffed um, so that the workers within these congregate care settings can provide um, the care that is is needed, um, but also the care that they want to provide. Um, They want to provide that, that, um, that quality care, but unfortunately, they don't have the time. Um, they, they're running from from uh, resident to resident. They're not given, I think the average that was put out there was four to six minutes they have in a day um, to provide care um, because there aren't enough workers. And so part of my motion is that there has to be a, a staffing strategy as well, which is why it's so important to have the workers at the table um, and to have any of the, the unions uh, for those that are unionized, to have the unions at the table as well, um, to be able to have that conversation about what does that quality of care look like and what does staffing, uh, what do staffing levels look like in order to provide um, that quality care. So many of these essential caregivers are going in and, and uh, kind of filling in the gaps because there's not enough staff. Um, and really, they shouldn't be going in and, and feeding and changing and bathing um, because they have to, because there isn't enough staff, they should be going in because and doing those things because that's what meaningful access is to the to the resident within the congregate care setting. So being able to um, brush someone's hair or sit and have a conversation about uh, current affairs or um, something that's happened in that resident's life uh, years ago, talking about memories and going through pictures and and that kind of thing. Um, those kinds of things should be happening with essential caregivers because that's what they they want to do, and that's because um, that's what's what's good for the resident. Um, so having that staffing piece in there and ensuring that these congregate care settings are staffed appropriately um, to ensure that uh, residents we've called for, along with many of the workers um, and different organizations, the unions that represent them, have called for. Uh, a minimum of four hours of hands-on care. So that means that um, one of the workers at PSW and RN and RPN is in there providing actual hands-on care to to each resident for a minimum of four hours a day. Um, That's something the government could change right away. Um, But that's certainly something that could be implemented through uh, an essential caregiver strategy as well and through the staffing strategy that's part of it. So with this strategy as well, with all the points that you just made, is there a timeline in terms of for the government to action this and to make this a reality? Because there is the 
everyone is saying in terms of the second wave that will be upon us with the flu coming up uh, in the fall. So how can that be actioned and made into a reality uh, for this particular strategy? Well, the government has all kinds of recommendations that have always come forward, uh, already come forward um, from various experts within the field, from workers, from families. There's already been policy documents put forward, as I mentioned, from RNAO, the National Institute for Aging and, and others um, that are already talking about um, meaningful access, residents having meaningful access and safe access to their essential caregivers today. Could have happened yesterday, could have happened a month ago. So there's already um, information out there for the government that they could that they could implement immediately. Um, it could happen today if they really wanted to. Um, and then they put the working group together um, with the workers, the individuals within congregate care, their essential caregivers, the experts in the field, um, and they continue that conversation and talk about it. Um, what kind, what strategy would look like on a on a go forward basis, and kind of tweak things if they need to. But there's plenty of information out there uh, for them already um, that the government could could easily implement. Uh, they could make the decision today to implement. Um, and one of the key things would be for them to um, ensure that they're putting out directives, that it's not just guidelines that are very open to interpretation, that are not clear or really understandable, um, that are not fluid um, from one home to the next. Um, that's something that they could change today as well. And as far as my my motion, um, the government could call back. I know they've, they've recessed us uh, now for the month of August. They recessed us uh, near the end of July, um, earlier than they were supposed to. Um, but they, they have called us back for lesser things, um, to do emergency sittings and uh, to rush through legislation that they felt was important to them. They certainly could call us back for an emergency session um, to debate my motion, to pass the motion and to get the wheels going um, and ensure that the residents have that safe and meaningful access to their essential caregivers. That would be awesome if that would, uh, if they were to be able to do that and to implement that uh, as soon as possible. Now, I guess it's just recognizing the the language uh, in terms of what's what you have written here in the caregiver strategy because it is clear uh, the um, directives right now are unclear and you're right that a lot of homes it's individual for homes as to how they're interpreting that some are recognizing essential caregivers and some are not and they're being quite firm on that um, so. Well, I guess what I'm saying I guess going forward is how do how would essential caregivers be part of that conversation moving forward uh, to be able to be at the table to provide their input. What would that actually look like in terms of, you know, was that going to be a group or is that how are they going to be able to engage those family members for that type of conversation moving forward? Well, the, this government and previous governments have had um, working groups or panels, as they call them, um, that they could put uh, together. So they put a call out to the general public and say, um, this is the topic um, that we're, we want to discuss. This is a, this is a, a strategy that we um, want to look at and we would like your input uh, into how to make that happen. So they could do surveys, they could do, um, they, they could put a, a call out to the general public to apply to be part of the panel. And that has to be done in a really open and transparent way as well. 
Um, the government can't be stacking the panel with people they know are going to say the things the government wants to hear. Um, it has to be done in a transparent and open way where there's lots of different voices at the table um, sharing different ideas um, that need to be taken into consideration. And then by having these these caregivers at the table and the workers at the table, the experts in the various fields, whether that's long-term care, healthcare, um, developmental services, to have all of them at the table, but more importantly, to have individuals that live in congregate care as part of that conversation, whether that is physically present um, at a in a boardroom to have that conversation or whether that's through um, a way of communicating that's appropriate to them, that they're able, a way that they're able to communicate. Um, it's really important to have the individuals um, in congregate care as part of the conversation as well. Um, so it's something that governments, uh, this government and previous governments have done in the past. Uh, we've had concerns around uh, how they chose who was on, on the various panels, which is why I'm saying it needs to be very open and very transparent. Um, but it, it's not uncommon for it to happen. Uh, they could put a call out today to the public. They could put a survey out, um, just a general survey of the public to see um, what their suggestions and their ideas are. Um, it's something that could happen pretty quickly. Um, we just need a government to have, have the will to do it. And, you know, I, I just look at, um, I just look at how the government's had a plan um, to open bars, to give people access to going into a bar, um, to be able to have alcohol and, and be able to um, socialize with people. They had a plan on how to open uh, restaurants. Um, they talk about having a plan to open the economy and that kind of thing. And yet there is no plan to ensure that individuals in congregate care settings have that safe and meaningful access to their essential caregivers. It's again, it's just guidance um, and there is no structure um, or consistency from one congregate care setting to the next. So it really is about priorities and uh, this government could make uh, these individuals in congregate care a priority um, and get this, get this, uh, get this process going and, and ensure that the essential caregivers can get into the congregate care settings. Absolutely, because that would be, um, I guess, just, that's what family members want, is to be able to have that say um, and to have their voices being heard and to be able to to give some direction um, to, to the government as to what should be uh, part of it. So from what I can gather in terms of, yes, there's this essential caregiver strategy. Obviously, there has to be a staffing strategy. And for all members and all everybody to be at that table to be discussing what those changes and what those um, what that should be and what that should look like uh, moving forward. Um, so the lastly, I would just want to say is... Um, you know, it, it, I, I guess it, you know, it has been definitely very hard for a lot of uh, family caregivers uh, for not being able to uh, be at within these congregate settings. And then as well for the family members that are, let's say, not even in this province, because we do have, I guess, um, individuals that are in these congregate settings whether it be long-term care, um, that are out of province uh, because they may not have it in their territory like the North. So for them to be able to participate and to be able to provide their voice as to what that change should look like, that would still encompass what you were indicating before in terms of um, whether it's through surveys, whether it's through being able to uh, provide a voice 
you know, at the table, but they would not be able to come into person. Would that be uh, looked at differently or to be able to provide, um, you know, their accommodation to be able to provide their voice as well? Yeah, there's absolutely the government. I think there's a responsibility to ensure that that everybody that has been affected um, by the essentially the lockdown in congregate care settings, um, anybody who has uh, a loved one um, or someone that's close to them that's in a congregate care setting um, should, you know, I mean, they're they're living it. Um, they understand the individual um, and, and what their needs are and how they're feeling and how they've changed um, during isolation in these congregate care settings. Um, so I don't think that geographics should really um, hinder them being able to provide that feedback um, to the to the government. Um, oftentimes, I mean, it's really important, again, that we stay person-centered, uh, individual-centered. And this really is, um, although it's very difficult for the essential caregivers as well, um, this has been, it's been incredibly difficult on the residents within these congregate care settings. Um, and so um, for those that are, are able to communicate, um, you know, what, what this has meant to them, how this has changed their lives, um, and how it's been for them being isolated from their essential caregivers, it's really important that they, they, they have that that voice at the table um, and be able to communicate it in any way that they're able to, whether the, again, that's in person by phone, video chat in writing, however that may be. And for some folks that's through their essential caregiver. Um, they're the person who, who's able to, to communicate um, more, most clearly on behalf of the, the residents. So for the residents who can't um, communicate uh, what it, how this has been for them, for them not to be able to do that themselves. It's really important that whether or not their essential caregiver is in Ontario or um, in a neighboring uh, province uh, here in the country, um, that their essential caregiver be given the opportunity by whatever means that is to be able to, to bring um, their thoughts, share their story and, and their opinion on um, what, could, what could have been done differently what could have been done better and what could be done on a go forward basis. Yes, exactly. So um, now for your motion in terms of family caregivers, in terms of supporting that, is there anything else that they can be able to do to make sure that this is heard and that the government does move forward on this essential caregiver strategy? Yes, they can. Um, I would, I would uh, encourage people to write to the premier's office, write to, um, various government members. So if you live in a riding um, where there is a government member, a conservative member, um, write to that MPP, um, write to the ministers, write to the Minister of Health and, and uh, the Minister of Long-Term Care, write to the Minister of Community and Social Services because he oversees uh, the group homes for individuals with developmental disabilities. Um, write to all of them and let them know, um, you, you know, what, what, you as an individual has been going through if you live in congregate care uh, or what you as, a, an, as an essential caregiver have been going through not being able to go in and support um, your loved one in congregate care. Um, you can write them, you can, you can call them. Uh, I have a petition um, that you can sign as well uh, where I share uh, you know, how many signatures we have and that's on my website, uh, lisagretzkympp.ca. 
Um, but there's there's a way to communicate with the government now, um, and you don't have to wait uh, to see if they they form this working group, this panel. Um, pressure, public pressure, um, can be a very powerful thing. So the more that the government hears from these individuals in concrete care and the essential caregivers, um, the the better chance we have of the government actually doing the right thing and and developing, uh, bringing everybody in that needs to be at the table, um, developing a strategy um, that can be implemented immediately, but then also on a go-forward basis um, as we potentially go into the second wave. And as you've mentioned, uh, flu season, um, they, they really need to, um, like I said, they pr- pressuring the government, public pressure, um, it can be a very, very powerful thing. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time uh, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles and definitely will you know, push this out there so it can be um, reached to as many to be able to impact the government uh, on this essential caregiver strategy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you have any feedback on any episode or suggestions, please contact us on our social media on Twitter at Family Councils, on Facebook at Family Council Collaborative Alliance, and Instagram at FCCA0020. Thank you again for listening.